What's good? Welcome back to the Pop-Off Podcast, a conversation show about the best movies of the year. I'm your host, Ralph Campiano, and I am joined by Skylar Reesberg to discuss our 10 favorite movies of the year 2023. It's early 2024, so this is a great time to reflect on the year in movies. Reesberg, I don't know about you, but I thought it was an amazing year for film. I am very inspired by this year. I don't have one superhero movie in my top 10. Well, I guess there is one, but it's kind of an exception. It's different. It's one that we both share a love for. But this was like, are you feeling as positive about movies as I am? Because this is like, it's big time for me. Okay, I love your energy and enthusiasm, and I don't want to take it in any direction. But I do have to say, I was actually coming to this kind of the opposite. Looking back at our 2022 I was like, I saw 10 solid movies in there that I thought it went deeper for my passion and love for the movies. Like, mm. um, yeah, I just kind of connected with them more maybe, or maybe I was watching more movies then because that's another point. I think, uh, I don't know how many, you know, I've seen my, my fair share of movies in 2023, but I don't know, you know, I may be missing a good amount of uh, good little smaller ones that I don't think were very pop culture. Like they weren't really talked about. Uh, amongst friend groups, not a lot of people saw them. So I was coming in with a, a different mentality, but that makes me excited because I don't like a down year in movies. Sure. Yeah. And so I guess I'm excited to hear your list to see if what movies I definitely need to go back and watch from 2023, if that makes sense. Well, I think 2022, there was one really big event movie in the middle of the summer that was Top Gun Maverick. Oh. Everybody was back in the theaters for that one. And then we had a similar experience again this summer with Barbenheimer, where everybody saw Barbie and or Oppenheimer. Some people saw both on the same night, like me. Some people saw one or the other, and that's fine. But at least you are aware and cognizant of the fact that those movies came out. Mm-hmm. Now, last year, we also had, we're a little bit over a year removed from a little film called Avatar, The Way of Water releasing, which made $2.5 billion dollars at the global box office it's the fourth highest grossing movie of all time there wasn't a movie like that this year so there wasn't like the big juggernaut of blockbusters these movies were successful in their own right because people started to go to the theater again which i love to see but i also didn't see as many movies this year i have 30 movies on my long list 2022 i had 38 and maybe that says more about me maybe i got busier maybe i was a little bit more distracted or not as infatuated with some of the releases but i think one through ten this year competes with 2022 for sure. I'm not sure if it's as good as 2019. That's the year with like Parasite, Uncut Gems, Little Women, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman. That's just a banger of a year. But this year I look at my top 10 and it's like, it's competitive. Like one through 15, I really, really like, and I will return to these movies again. Um, But maybe we should just dive right into it because it's tough, man. It's like, these are precious items that come out in such a scrunched period of time, I saw five movies in three days last week. Um, A lot of movies come out around Christmas. It's just the way the release calendar works for some reason. These movies want to compete for Oscars. And obviously people have so much time around the holidays to go out and go to the movies. So I saw five movies last week and three of them are actually in my top 10. So there might be some recency bias there, but I don't know. I analyze these things maybe a little bit too deeply. So I'm pretty confident in my list. Let's start with you, though. What is your number 10? What is your 10th favorite movie of the year? You want me to go number one right away? No, number 10 first. We yeah, go number 10. 10. To one. Okay, okay. Thank yes. God. Okay. So, yeah, I was trying just comparing my list, too. I feel like my – I felt I still feel like it was a little deeper last year, personally. Again, I think that just says what you're watching. So, without further ado, I guess, number 10 for me 
kind of a shocker if uh kind of a shocker but it was knock at the cabin at the beginning the, you know the first half of that movie how i felt about it uh it was really cheesy i thought uh it was just it was a little too weird and i don't know if it didn't feel like they knew what they were doing with it but then by the end of it i was able to look past all of the cheesy Batista lines, all of the just like the plot itself in general is just pretty, uh, pretty chaotic, and so yep. I was able to look past all that, and I kind of appreciated it. I liked the acting for the most part. I thought it was funny they chose two gay guys as like the with the little daughter as like this is who it has to be, so you don't get that man versus woman. Like obviously people are going to be looking at the man to you know go out there and take care of business for the family, but. No, I wouldn't say I love that. I mean, on Letterboxd, I think I gave it two and a half, which is just fair. You know, that's fair. That's a good, solid movie. But um, I think it's – I don't love it at 10 because I don't think it deserves the conversation for top 10 movies of 2023. But with the ones that I saw, that it, it gets that spot. So we should say this. I see a lot of movies. I'm a nerd. It's just mm-hmm. the thing that I do. You know, you like to – you're a little bit more of a social butterfly. You yeah. probably don't go to the movies by yourself as often. And I think that the experience in a theater um, really enhances our viewing experience so much, Like especially with a movie like this. I think this would have been a really fun movie to see in a big crowd. When I saw this, it was just me and my date at the time. Um, it's streaming on Amazon Prime right now. So if you haven't seen it, it's a good watch, I would say, especially for a date night. It's directed by M. Night Shyamalan, who did movies like Signs and the village and other very eerie creepy movies he's famous for his twist um but i guess we should just say what this movie is about it's the letterbox mm-hmm. summary i gave it a three out of five while vacationing at a remote cabin a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers one of them is batista one of them is actually ron weasley as well and those four armed strangers demand that the family make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse with limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. So there are some really cool sequences in this movie of like apocalyptic things happening on a screen on CNN, like Wolf Blitzer is reporting on it. And you're not sure if you believe it or not. Did these people, are these people, these strangers just fucking with this family of gay dudes because, you know, they're homophobic or something like that? Like what's their real intention? Um, but yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. I have this at number 21 on my list. So I liked the movie. I gave it a three out of five. It sounds like I liked it more than you. You gave it two and a half. I gave it three, but maybe you're a harsher critic. And, and maybe that's just the subjectiveness of rating, you know, two and a five, yep. my 2.5 could be your three. We could feel the same about yep. it, but, but yeah. What about you? What was right, your my, number 10? Yeah. I'm excited. My number 10 is a movie I just saw last week. Um, I'm excited for you to see this movie. It's called The Iron Claw, and mm. it is a movie about the Von Erken family. Um, I just did a review on it on Instagram. It's obviously starring Zac Efron, who is absolutely fucking shredded in this movie. He's like a walking creatine pill. Also, Jeremy Allen White from The Bear, another dude who's bulked the fuck up. But my favorite performance is actually Harris Dickinson in this, who I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. I wasn't that familiar with him until last year when I saw Triangle of Sadness. But it's the true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s through tragedy and triumph under the shadow of their domineering father and coach, who's played by Holt McCollany. He's in Mindhunter. He's just like a great role for this. The brothers seek larger than life immortality on the biggest stage in sports. 
This is one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. Point blank period. It is fucking depressing. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that most of the brothers in this movie just straight up die. And I was having a conversation with a coworker earlier who saw this movie. And this is just a little comment on theater etiquette. He saw this movie with his wife. He was very eagerly anticipating this film because he likes Sean Durkin. Um, he likes Zac Efron and he likes, you know, dark dramas. And there were four teenagers behind him in the theater. Two couples, two boys, two girls, could have been 16 years old or something like that. Once again, this is one of the saddest movies I've ever seen in my life. They brought blankets to the movie theater, and he said, quote unquote, they were just giving each other hand jobs the whole time. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think you could pick a worse movie to give somebody a hand job in. I was thinking about it. I was like, I was a teenager too at one point. Yeah. But I was selective about what movies I was going to finger bang a chick in. These people were not. They obviously did no research. And he just said he just heard rustling the entire movie. He literally referred to them as two men and their hand jobbers that they brought. I'm like, that's pretty misogynistic. He was like, but that's what they did. They weren't moviegoers. They were just hand jobbing. So if you go see this movie, see it with a good crowd. <laughs> the crowd I saw it with was packed. It was really good. It was brilliant. The cinematography, the choreography, it's all beautiful. And the performances are awesome. Um, but yeah, it's my number 10 movie of the year. I gave it four out of five stars. I loved it. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's no spoilers here. Uh, it's based off a true story. The You can look it up online. It's a very infamous story. Uh, not surprised about those teenagers, though, but I do think a little strategy, more strategy should have been at play there. You're going right behind somebody. Usually you try to be a little more strategic in your seat location. I know you can't just move around all the time, but to do it right behind a couple watching a movie, side by side, just two couples, that is a little bold. <laughs> Would it have been more clever to go very back row or very front row? You got to go back, right? What's the logic in the front? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there is any. You know, I think, maybe okay, if wait, you go wait, to that top one though, that front front one ahead of all of them, maybe people don't know what the fuck you're doing. People don't want to look down there. As long as your arm motion of the jerk is like little enough, like if mm-hmm. they have a little enough dick and you're just like, yeah, but uh, yeah, we can. That's also that a strategic play from the woman's side. Yeah. There's a lot of tact to it. So. And it's also like, did you not come yet, dude? Like, <laughs> probably, well, impossible probably not because they're getting so depressed on what was going on. <laughs> He's like, I went soft again, babe. You got to keep beating. Um, all right. What's your number nine? Oh, my number nine. Oh, okay. So there might be a little controversy on this pick for sure. It's definitely not as well received because it was a remake. Uh, White Men Can't Jump with Jack Harlow oh. and Cinco, Cinco Walls, if I'm saying that right. Yeah. So I'll give it a little rerun now that I think I know how this style is going. We got from Letterboxd, play hard, hustle harder, seemingly opposite street hoopers, Jeremy, an injury-prone former star, and Kamal, a has-been prodigy, team up to take one final shot at living out their dreams. You know what? I was super against this movie when I heard it was being remade, when it was coming out. But after a month, two months of it being out and seeing all the hate it got, I decided to give it a try. And I, I thought it was really fun. I loved it. It holds no candle to the first one made with Woody Harrelson. I think, uh, I mean, that one, whenever you do a remake, it's harder to make it better. So I really don't know why they do. I don't think this commercially was that successful. But Hulu bought into it. And, you know, I just had fun with it at the end of the day. Kind of modern storytelling of it. Harlow's funny. Uh, just a good dynamic of characters, honestly. And... I didn't give it that high of a rating, 
but it's my number nine and I had a good time with it. I would watch it again, honestly. This one just slipped by me. I don't know why I didn't watch this. It's obvious. It's actually a lot like another movie related to basketball this year that I did not watch for whatever reason. And that was air. Yeah. I never watched air. I'm not sure if that's going to be on your list. We'll find out. But um, this is like the reason I would watch this is Vince Staples is in it. The reason I didn't watch it, I think, is because I saw Jack Harlow in the Celebrity All-Star Game. And I was like, this motherfucker can't hoop. Like, he's terrible. Like, I would bust his ass one-on-one. Like, he was actually – he was actively bad. Like, I think they – They made him look pretty all right in the movie. He looked pretty good. Well, maybe he did some training. He signed a New Balance. Maybe he had some Kawhi trainings or something like that. But also looks like Laura Laura Harrier and Tiana Taylor are both in this movie. They're really hot. They had a good cast. And Vince – Vince was actually – you reminded me he was in it. He was hilarious, like he always is. He's just that goofy sidekick friend. Yeah, I like this crew. I like this crew. All right, I'll check this out at some point. It's on Hulu right now. Um, I do the Iron Claws in theaters. So you have to see that in theaters mm-hmm. if you want to see that. Okay, my number nine. <laughs> I got another good story for this one. I saw this movie last week <laughs> with a we packed crowd. It's called Godzilla Minus One. No. And I had heard so many positive reviews about this film going into it. No hand jobs taking place in this one. But we are going to stay on the inappropriate side of things. Our good friend, our mutual friend, Alex Newberg, told me, he got a little bit high one night and he wanted to go to the movies and experience something. And he's like, oh my God, there's a Godzilla movie out. I'm so baked. I'm just going to go see that. He had no idea that this movie was in Japanese. <laughs> he thought it was an English movie. So he gets into the theater and he's like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like the opening scene is like in Japanese. Like they're paying homage <laughs> to like the origins of Godzilla. And then they just played out the rest of the movie. And he's like, it never went to English, dude. I'm like, well, what did you think? Cause I hadn't seen it yet. He's like, it was fucking amazing. So I'm like, all right, I'll take your word for it. I've heard a bunch of critics say that it's a banger. My coworker that loves movies said it was a banger. So I go and see it. Reesberg, I'm happy to report that it's a fucking banger, dude. Oh, like, it good. Is like, good. It's like Jaws level shit. Like it, there are a lot of sequences on the water. Um, it was made for $15 million, which is insane considering how good the CGI is in this and how expensive a lot of the Marvel and DC movies are for the budgets that they're made with. 200 250 million dollars this was 15 it's a fraction of that mm. and it's brilliant it's essentially a world war ii movie in post-war japan they're just coming over things it's about a um kamikaze pilot who i don't want to use the term pussies out but he chickens out he's like and he has the survivor's guilt and he's dealing with that remorse and then what do you know godzilla comes and just fucks things up and usually when i watch a godzilla or a king kong movie i root for the monster and i'm like on their side but in this movie, Godzilla is just a full-blown terrorist, just fucking <laughs> up cities, killing people left and right, like no remorse. He's just – he's Jaws. Like it reminded me of Jaws more than anything else. So I fucking loved this. Um, it's a great theater. I was I was shocked at how many people were in the theater to see this. A Japanese movie in West Des Moines, Iowa, packed crowd, and everybody was just like, oh, my God. You know, there's a moment. There's several moments where – I'm not sure what the term is, but when he like breathes fire – Instead of it just being fire, he's essentially delivering atom bombs from his fucking mouth. And you see the repercussions of it and like people being concussed by it that aren't even like directly affected from it. it's it's amazing. It was a kick ass movie. Having it at nine, like I, I kind of feel bad. It should be higher. So it's the most OP Godzilla that they've introduced in the franchise? Easily. He kicks so much. I'm I'm not saying I I rooted against him because I didn't. There were parts of me where I was like, I just want to see him fuck some shit up. Yeah. But I was like, God, it's getting to be a little bit much, like 30,000 people in like 15 minutes. That's a lot of people. You know what? I've been seeing that movie title 
uh, around in just some, you know, letterbox and movie platforms. And I see Weird the title. the Japanese after it. You know, it's like the the Godzilla something minus one or whatever. But uh, I love the Godzilla franchise. I was wondering if it was going to be in all Japanese, though, when I saw that the Japanese writing after it. I just thought maybe like Newberg, maybe it's a paying homage thing. But no, I absolutely, absolutely love that it's in Japanese, and I hope more people see it because people fuck with the Jap- with the Godzilla franchise itself. Are they great movies? No, but they're just a whole lot of fun. A whole lot. No, of fun, this so. one is though. I hope this it is a great movie. On, though, to watching movies in other languages because that's my biggest. This is gripe. a great movie. Like you're right; those movies they get big actors. Like Brian Cranston was in one of them, and like Millie mm-hmm. uh, Bobby Brown was in one yeah. of them. And they get good performers. But they just always end up being cheesy because they end up in the wrong hands and studios are like, I want this, I want that. This is like a genuine, like it, it, this movie could exist without Godzilla and still be a good post-World War II movie. It's just like Godzilla so happens to be in it. And yeah, man, it kicks all of the ass. And if you don't like foreign language films, that's fine. But I would say try to get over that barrier, especially for an experience like this, especially if you want to see just a sick fucking action film. Um, all right, what's your number eight? And real quick off that, no spoilers here, I know, but was there a nemesis? There's always a Godzilla nemesis. You know, he's got his big intergalactic super villain coming at him. Did they have one in this? Just the people. Just the people. Okay. You know what? I kind of like that. Makes it a little more fun. You don't get crowded in all the monsters. That'll be fun. So my number eight is actually, we just brought it up. It's air. Directed by Ben. Is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. So I haven't seen this yet. So that'll push me to the edge to actually watch this. I think just based off all the movies I saw and with Ben Affleck being in it, Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, I love those three, Chris Tucker, Viola Davis. It was a really good cast, I thought. And I'm not saying like it was a really good movie overall, but it's the same thing with White Man Can't Jump. I had a good time following the story. Love basketball. So love to get into Michael Jordan. But let's let me do the rundown. I love the rundown here. Discover the game-changing partnership between a then-discovered Michael Jordan in Nike's fledgling basketball division, which revolutionized the world of sports and culture with the Air Jordan brand, which we know and love today. That brand, and so I don't think a lot of people. I think a good amount of people do know the history behind the Air Jordan brand, but this I didn't, and so this kind of opened it all up for me and just kind of gave you a little more detail, which is is just really cool. For sports, cinema, all the above. I do know the history, so maybe that's why I had some pushback on actually watching it. But then again, like it's Ben Affleck, it's Matt Damon. It's, it's just, it's a my bad. That's what it is. Hand up. Yeah. I should be better. I should have seen this movie by now. Um, all right. My number eight. Fuck, dude. My, <laughs> I really like my top ten. Uh, my number eight is David Fincher's The Killer. Oh. It is his first movie since Mank. It is on Netflix right now. This is the movie I most regret not being able to see in the theater. All other nine movies in my top ten, I was able to go to the theater and see it. Netflix just didn't release The Killer in theaters for me, which I resent heavily. Um, So I'm very, very excited to talk about it because Michael Fassbender is back. He's unretired. I don't want to spoil anything. I didn't know he was retired. What the hell? Well, he's too good to retire. He didn't retire, quote unquote, but he took an active break from acting to race F1 cars. That's what he's been doing for essentially the last six years. He married and had a baby with Alicia Vikander, who most people might know as the robot from Ex Machina. Um, They have a child now. 
and he's just like racing F1 for Ferrari or something like that. So they actually had to schedule this movie around his race dates, which is insane. Like this guy is one of the, I don't know, 15 best actors in the world. I try to think of uh, an actor who could play this role other than him, and I couldn't think of anybody. He has to do so much voiceover. It's so much internal monologue that I think people get a little bit bogged down by that. But whatever you think this movie is, it isn't. It is a movie about a hitman, and the first 20 minutes is one long joke for a crazy punchline setup, and then it's just pure chaos after that. It has one of my favorite fight sequences that I've seen in years between him and a guy that looks like Zac Efron in the Iron Claw, frankly, who you would love this. The guy who he fights is actually the same person that played Sauron in Lord of the Rings, which is just insane. So this guy's like 51, 52 years old now, and he's fucking jacked. Like, he looks like a literal animal. He's an absolute behemoth. Um, it features Tilda Swinton, who I will talk about with Cerrone at some point on the top 10 performances of 2023. And arguably one of my three or four favorite scenes of the year where Fassbender and Swinton finally meet um, at a fine dining experience, which I'll talk about further on that episode. But this is just a fucking banger of a movie. And if you haven't gotten the chance to watch it, be patient with it. Give it its time because it is very rewarding. And David Fincher is a master. I mean, he made Gone Girl, Zodiac, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Fight Club, Seven. He's made all of your favorite fucking movies. So he deserves you to, he deserves for you to give him a chance with this one. It's the killer. It's simple. It's genre. Bangs. Yeah, this is one that got away from me that I've been – it's David Fincher, like you said. I love all his movies. It kind of gave me – like I, you can tell by looking at the the little Netflix uh, picture of it that it's a David Fincher movie. I don't know what that yep. means, but when I look at it, I know like oh, – You know what it means. That's, that's yep. David Pitt, yeah. And so I'm really excited to watch that actually. That's probably one of my most anticipated solely because of the director and Michael Fassbender. But geez, sounds like he had to take a break after all the X Men shit. Just sounds like that killed his love for cinema a little bit. <laughs> I mean, like I F1. think about like how good he was. Yeah, like in Inglorious Bastards, I think is my first experience with him, and I'm like, this guy's a Nazi. <laughs> He's an actual <laughs> Nazi, and then he just plays an absolute psychopath in this movie. Like I will say one, there's one scene that's just so little, towards the beginning of the movie too. But he treats everything as transactional. And so this movie is essentially like a blueprint for if you want to become a serial killer or a hitman, this movie tells you how to do it. It tells you how to like create a key fob just by buying something off of Amazon, like shows you the link and everything to get it. Like you can do that shit. But he goes to McDonald's and he's like, there's nothing wrong with McDonald's. You can get 12 grams of protein there for $3. And so he gets an egg McMuffin and then he just takes out like the bread, the McMuffin part, and just eats like the egg and cheese and canadian bacon and he just eats it on a sidewalk and just like stares down a person that he's hunting and it's just like it's just little things like that where i just love it and yeah man it kicks ass i fucking love this movie all right what's your number seven all right my number seven is i'm still not excited about this one but you know i actually did enjoy it i'll let you know when i get excited about my list i'm at the hunger games the ballad of songbird and snakes all right so ralph i heard i think i know your opinion about this but just a little preface this is the 64 years before president snow becomes the tyrannical president of panem he sees a chance for a change in fortune when he mentors this girl named lucy gray lucy graybeard who's the female tribute from District 12. And so what I enjoyed about this is I actually rewatched the first three Hunger Games. So didn't get to part two, but I think I'd seen that one recently enough. 
And I, I didn't like those movies when they came out. It's the whole book versus seeing the movie thing. So I had a little problem with that. Going back, though, I take them a little less seriously and just try to treat the whole movie as a game. And I had a little more fun with it. What I really enjoyed about this and probably why it's getting number seven is, one, whoever played President Snow absolutely loved. Absolutely loved. I thought he was a really good actor. He brought, uh, he brought that, like, violent emotion or just pure violence that President Snow is capable of and, you know, uh, feeling no remorse for killing children or doing anything. I thought he brought that kind of subtly just with his emotions because I didn't think it was always being presented throughout the movie. So I, I he was a big reason. And then I love seeing the history. So this is one of the more things. If you're into the Hunger Games uh, world, I like seeing how much the games changed. I thought the the arena was absolutely mind-boggling. My one gripe with it and was the singing, for sure. Lucy <laughs> and all her songs she had to sing all the time. You know what? I don't fault her, though. Her name, they, she, they called her like the songbird or the, she had a nickname that was something with song. And so if, if you have a nickname like that, I, I can't be mad at you for being who you are. But I didn't personally love it every time. But overall, wonder, a really good movie, I actually thought. Pretty good. I wonder if they changed the script to include music after they casted Rachel Zegler in this role, mm. who's had almost like a meteoric rise. Like she was in West Side Story, Steven yes. Spielberg's recreation of it a couple of years ago. And I'd never, I think that might have been like her first real feature film. Um, I'm not familiar with her past. She might be like a Disney kid or something like that. I think she's sure. a Disney kid. Yeah, I that can't might, pull that makes what sense. she is, but I think she's a Disney kid, yeah. Yeah, she had the voice. I don't. I guess I'd I have mean, to she's like going from book. West Side Story to The Hunger Games, and in 2025, she's playing fucking Snow White. That's insane. Like those are her first three films. She was also in Shazam: Fury of the Gods. So I guess she only does franchises. Good for her. She's getting the bag. In the bag, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, but you I'm know not what? Sure to what your point, is. I think I think a big part of her story were the songs she sang. Because a lot of them were in the new Hunger Games as well. So I think when uh, Susan Cup, Suzanne Collins was writing the book, I think there were a lot of songs. I'm guessing I haven't read the book. Interesting. But I believe there were a lot of songs just based off her character. She sings a lot. She was uh, an entertainer who had to be a fighter within the games. And then a fun parallel is Katniss was a fighter that had to be an entertainer in the games. Right. You know? So it's just a lot of fun stuff going on. But I do, when watching it, and you notice a bunch of similarities that, you know, like uh, just all these themes we get in the new Hunger Games, President Snow was getting them from Lucy. You know, she was introducing a lot of these uh, themes of rebellion, the songs, um, pins, just a lot of symbolic and thematic, I guess, things within that movie. What I'm trying to say here is it's a little weird now going back and seeing President Snow react in the new franchise or in the in the original franchise react to some of these things that so subtly when I feel like it should have been a bigger deal when he sees a mm. Mockingjay on Katniss or when he hears right. that song and, you know, he's just like uh, sitting back like, we need to kill them. And you don't get like a, <laughs> you don't get any, you don't know that he has any history with those symbols and themes. Yeah. So from one franchise to another, you had yeah. the Hunger Games at number seven. Mm -hmm. I have another franchise at number seven. Let's go. What is it? 
And I said I didn't have any superhero movies on my list, but I guess this kind of counts as one because Tom Cruise is a real life fucking superhero. Okay. I have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. It is the seventh installment in the Mission Impossible franchise. This movie, Reesberg, kicked all of the ass, and it is a goddamn shame that it was released one week before Barbenheimer because it completely got overlooked. The scheduling was just a complete fuck up on their part. Um, this was a movie that I was anticipating for years. I love the Mission Impossible series. I'm not even the biggest action movie guy, but I feel like I'm coming across that way on this episode because of Godzilla minus one in this. Um, and I think I have a couple other ones on my list too. Um, but this is just like, this was supposed to be the movie that saved movies and Top Gun Maverick beat it to the point. And Tom Cruise is just on a mission to save the world. Um, I don't want to read the whole synopsis of the movie because it still doesn't make a total amount of sense to me. And I don't think the summary does a very good job on Letterboxd of explaining what this movie is. So let me just break it down in very brief terms. It's Tom Cruise versus AI. Very simple. AI is on a path to ruin the world. There's a, um, a key that unlocks it and all these kinds of things. But the real standout of this movie, my friends, is Haley Atwell, who plays Grace. There's only one other person I saw on a movie screen that was hotter than her on a movie screen this year, and that's um, the woman from Bottoms. What's her name? She dates um, Austin Butler. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Oh, Kaya Gerber. She's like the most attractive person I've ever seen in my fucking life. Like, I think that Haley Atwell is right up there. She's right up there with Margot Robbie. You know what? They uh, kind of look similar. They just they looked do. up Haley Atwell. They, they kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have, I have a type. You know me. I like a brunette. Um, but this is just, you know, Ving Rhames is back. Simon Pegg is back. Vanessa Kirby is amazing in this. She has like a weird accent. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is great. And Tom Cruise is Tom fucking Cruise, man. There are some sequences in this that are just the coolest stunts that you'll ever see. Um, I feel bad for people that didn't see it in the theater because it's a treat to be able to see this movie in the theater. Like it really is. And I'm, I'm happy to be alive at a time when these movies are still coming out. Yeah, I think everybody saw that clip of Tom Cruise motorbike jumping off a bike. Yeah, just <laughs> off a cliff uh, a million times. I definitely wanted to watch this. I will say, I think what held me back is I didn't know what number of movie this was. And I know you don't mm. need to see them all, but I was getting confused sure. on the last one that I saw and felt like I needed to rewatch them all in order to do that. But I don't think they need to be watched in a sequential no. order like that. I mean, I did it just because I'm a dork. Oh, you rewatched um, them all? I did, and it was Let's a blast. Go. I had so much fun. They're fun I movies. They are so fun. And it's because of Tom Cruise. And a lot of them don't make a lot of sense. Like, they're, they're still figuring out the plot while they're going and stuff like that. Like, they're very – what I think is so impressive is the fact that this movie, its main enemy is AI, is that this movie started getting scripted in 2020 before AI became so prevalent. So it almost, like, predicted that. Um, but the motorcycle jump that happens – it only gets better. You only see the beginning of the motorcycle jump in that trailer where he goes off the cliff. Mm-hmm. He ends up, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if it's a spoiler. He essentially has to jump off that bike. The reason he's doing it is so he can parachute onto a moving train and land on the train and break into the train. No way. I yeah, didn't know that. I mean, so you don't badass. know why. No, nobody questions when you see Tom Cruise <laughs> flying off a cliff on a bike. Nobody questions why he's doing it. They just go, that's awesome. He's doing it And for do us. you think it... Do you think it takes it to another level when you see like the behind the scenes of it and it's like his seventh time doing it and he's just like, let's do it again. Like, do, do you like that? Or is that like uh, Tom Cruise? You're just doing too much. You're an adrenaline junkie and you're going to die doing one of these stunts. 
I hope people don't feel the latter point. I think that's awesome seeing that. You love to see how committed actors are. It makes you more invested in the movie because you're like, well, if they took it seriously, I'm going to appreciate it more as a cinema lover. So, I mean, that's why I love Tom Cruise. I mean, as an actor, he's just so invested, so cool. He's so intense, always so intense, but, but fun and quirky at the same time. Like he's ready to bust a move. Could you do your favorite Tom Cruise performance right now? Uh, like a, shot? <laughs> no, you know what? This is, this is not it, but I got to bring it up cause it's what's going around in my head. It's a very fun one. I love him in tropical thunder. I think it's one of my, oh my God. So funny, good. He's such a funny character in it. When he starts yelling, they start screaming, fuck you at the people holding the actors hostages oh, that God. I recently saw that too, for the first time all the way through. And so yeah, <laughs> I had to throw that out there, but Unbelievable. I mean, I just shuts up there. It's just so mysterious, Tom Cruise. That I, I don't know how to feel about it years after watching. Magnol- so. Magnolia is the same way. Like I wish he would go back to working with directors like Paul Thomas Anderson and Kubrick's yeah. of the world. Quentin Tarantino. I would love for Tarantino to cast him in his next movie, but probably won't happen. All right, what is your number six? We're almost in top five territory. What's just outside of the top five? Okay, my number six. Here we're getting to some movies. I actually, I'm glad to talk about. I really liked The Creator is my number five or is my number six. And what I got to say about it, I guess, is, well, first I'll run through. So amid a future war between the human race and the forces of artificial intelligence, a hardened ex-special forces agent grieving the disappearance of his wife is recruited to hunt down and kill the creator, the elusive architects of advanced AI. And so you kind of get jumped in. Well, first off, I love John David Washington, and he's Mm. probably what kind of made this movie for me. Just his whole approach to playing the character. Uh, I, overall, this had to be, this will take, if we were doing a score or not score, if we were doing a, a visual rankings right now, this had to be just the, visually the best movie I saw all year. My favorite. Yep. Every scene had me locked in. Every scene was had me buying more into the world. But my gripes with the movie were, I think they could have done things to buy me in or just build up the world a little more. I didn't feel that involved in it at all. Like I thought it was really cool. Yeah. The AI, the AI who were good guys. So this is an AI propaganda movie, although depending on your viewpoint, but yeah, I mean, overall really fun. I just, some of the plot points kind of lost me. I didn't really care for the creator, honestly, at the end of the day, but it was a fun journey to kind of get there uh maybe spoilers but uh definitely watch it's directed by gareth edwards who mm-hmm. ironically did godzilla in 2014 and he also made my favorite star wars movie second favorite star wars movie rogue one which is just a kick-ass film so he's good with these big budget blockbusters um i'm excited to see what he does next i like the creator too i think i have it at I have a number 19 on my long list. Oh, let's so, go. Good movie. Okay. Great experience. Yeah, good um, movie. I think another point is I really liked that it took place in Asia a lot. I don't know. It, yeah. I think that made for cooler just shots in general. Uh, we didn't have to focus on the United States, which I don't think would have been as cool as a, a scenery to shoot. So, yeah. Well, Anna gave him the chance to cast Gemma Chan, yeah. who is just a fucking babe. Like, she's in Don't Worry Darling, Eternals, The Marvels. Crazy Rich Asians, she's a fucking smoke show. Um, all right, there we go. Talking about brunettes again. Do Asian women count as brunettes? Oh yeah. Uh, okay. I it depends. 
You I said he had quick, so I'll, well, they, I'll go they could go yeah. both. They could have black hair. Yeah, she's, she, 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 she's bad as hell. All right, my number six is um, a movie I was very fortunate to be able to see in theaters. Not a lot of people got this chance. Um, it's Maestro. It is streaming on Netflix right now. It is Bradley Cooper's second film that he has directed um, after A Star is Born, I believe in 2017. So he's taking a little bit of a break. Um, it is a film about Leonard Bernstein, who is one of the most charismatic and passionate people that you'll ever see on a screen. Um, it's a portrait of Leonard Bernstein's singular charisma and passion, there you go, for music as he rose to fame as America's first native-born, world-renowned conductor, all along following his ambition to compose both symphonic and popular Broadway works. That doesn't do a good job of describing it. This movie is about him and his wife, and his wife is portrayed by Carrie Mulligan. Her name is, off the top of my head, Felicia Montalegre. Um, Carrie Mulligan gives one of my favorite performances of the year in this. So it is Bradley Cooper. The fun fact about this movie, um, that they reveal in the very first scene is that Leonard Bernstein was gay, um, bisexual, but probably leaning more towards gay considering he had affairs during his marriage with men. Um, that seems to be his primary passion. And this movie doesn't treat him as an alien or anything like that. They celebrate him. And you know, my fascination with tar. Yeah. I had talked at you a lot about that last year. Tar is like the most scientific version of a composer. Like I love that movie because it's so expertly crafted and it, it almost feels like a formula that's coming together and creating this perfect piece of music and movie together. And everything that Blanchett does in that is so calculated. Uh, tell me if this metaphor isn't making sense, but that's like the very scientific version of this. Maestro is the complete art of it. It is all beauty, all pain, all suffering. All like there's a cancer sequence in this that fucking broke my heart. And I've never even like really had any kind of involvement or interaction with cancer in my family or anything like that. Maybe a moderate one, but um, it, 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 I cried real tears in the theater when I saw this. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. Maya Hawk plays his daughter in it, and Love. she's wonderful too. Love the Hawk. This family. is just Oops, so it starts out in black and white. And I think it's like the first 45 minutes or so are in black and white. And then it goes to color. But I mean, even when it's in black and white, it's more colorful than a lot of movies that I see. Um, Bradley Cooper's fucking amazing, dude. He's the one. Like, I think he is, you know, George Clooney has tried to direct movies and star in them. Ben Affleck's done a good job of it. Um, but I think Bradley Cooper's the best out of the bunch when it comes to directing and starring in his own movies. Like he's our new Warren Beatty in that sense. So I love this movie, man. I'm not sure if it's getting enough attention. Um, it's on Netflix right now. Getting much. I, I wish more people would watch it because yeah, it fucking it rules. And like people love to Star Is Born, so it doesn't make much sense why they're not watching this if like they liked Bradley Cooper. Uh, maybe that was the Gaga effect. I'm not sure, but I, I feel yeah, like man, what it is with watch these Maestro. movies. I guess the more that I've thought about them, you know, Maestro, Tar, and then even Whiplash, I kind of feel like it's more of a niche, like very cinematic lover, like very cinematic lover. Uh, audience from movies like because sure if you think about it i guess a star is born i wouldn't compare not that i've seen maestro but i could kind of imagine uh they're still very different in their own ways but i did see a clip of this movie yeah i'll let you think on that and i'm glad you got to bring up tar today i'm, I'm happy about that thanks i was i watched a clip of this just bradley cooper uh composing at a very nice oh yeah theater hall it was a very nice place yep. rich people in suits everywhere and they were really focusing on his face you know he was really just <laughs> giving it all head 
up, down. It was 180. I didn't know your head could move like that, but he was doing it. Uh, the makeup, the change of his face was completely different or, or it was very restructured. So I guess yep. I applaud them for that. When I watched it, though, my takeaway was, is that man doing too much right now? What's he doing? <laughs> okay, so, I, I think that's more of a comedic yep, thing to say right yep. here. I I know when you're in there, it's a different experience. I might enjoy it more, but I'll try to give this No, you're totally again. right. You're totally right. But at the same time, it's not that Bradley Cooper was doing too much. It's that Leonard Bernstein was doing too much. Because if you see the side-by-side, oh. side, which Netflix released, it's almost like exact. Like most composers are like very hum da da and like very, you know, classically trained and like very mellow for the most part. Bernstein was just like one pit of rage and passion. Like he's like smiling all over the place and like screaming at people. Like he just like is in love with the music and like he's full blown sweating his ass off by the time he's done performing. While Lydia Tarr, on the other hand, like she is like swift and just in her movements. But it's like, I need to finish this. I need to be the best at this. Well, Bernstein's just like, I love this so much that I want this to be great. Like, that's what the difference is. And I love comparing these two. Um, two totally different movies, though. A Star is Born in this, I think they're actually pretty similar. And like, it follows a couple for the most part. It's very sad. It's very funny. Um, okay. It's beautiful. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you like romance, if you like drama, if you like comedy, and if you like just fucking fun, great movie to watch, man. I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, I guess right, keeping it simplistically, in. I think the the reason I think The Star is Born and Maestro are different comparisons is just solely based on the fact that one is more a, you know, a famous artist that's pop culturally loved. And so I sure. think more of the general audience would be, you know, compelled to that. And then I don't I just don't think people are in love with composers. I do think they yeah, need to right. watch the movie, though. And I think keeping it simple, that's what it is. Uh, you got to be a little. When you're cra- when you're great, you got to be a little crazy. And then yeah. last thing, I heard he trained for like seven years for this role. Yeah. No, for that one symphony that he yes. plays in this movie. Yeah, so, he mean, takes this shit very Cooper. seriously. I okay. mean, like we learned about him first through like comedies, like Wedding Crashers and The Hangover and things like that. But like you can go back and watch Inside the Actor Studio, and he was inside the. It's um a show where essentially this um, interviewer, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but James Lipton, he would interview actors and he would ask them questions. Then he would give them a chance to respond to up and coming actors that were like backups and extras and movies and things like that. And Brad, you can see Bradley Cooper in one of them very young. And he asked Robert De Niro a question. It's like very like serious. And like, he takes this stuff very seriously. So I love that about him. All right. Top five time. Here we go. We're 42 minutes in this podcast and we're finally getting to the top five. Okay, top five, Fuck, top this, five. This, this, this can be a long one. All right, uh, what is your fifth favorite movie of the year? My fifth favorite is Saltburn. Maybe a little recency bias oh. I actually just watched it last night. I know, I think I saw you have some gripes with this movie, but I, I guess I'll just... Okay, what I have to say about it is, you know, first of all, what this movie is about is uh, it's about this boy, Oliver, struggling to find his place at Oxford University. He finds himself drawn to the world of the charming and aristocratic Felix Clatton, Catton, who invites him to Saltburn, a really nice house, his eccentric family's sprawling estate, for a summer never to be forgotten. And so I was going into this, honestly, I'd heard the bad things. I didn't think I'd love it. But you know what? I love Jacob Elordi in it. I'm a big fan of He's him great. in this. Uh, Barry Keegan is quickly becoming one of my favorite actors to watch. His just nature on film is unmatched it's really weird 
but then sometimes it's really enduring at the same time. He can switch that. He can go from really likable to who get, I never want to see this guy again. He just has that duality. I love that. And then I actually just enjoyed the story. I saw a lot of parallels to other movies, you know, namely when I was watching this, I was thinking about the talented Mr. Ripley a lot, you know? Yes. Um, Cause you got Barry Keegan who is just drawn to this, this J- Jacob Elordi's character. And he just wants to be friends with him so bad. Just like Matt Damon wanted to be Jude Law's friend so bad. It defers a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, still keeping the parallel between the two movies, it, it all works out for one of them in the end, you know? And I thought it was a fun ride. It was very, I don't think sinister is the right word, but you know, maybe a little to the ordinary person, a little unsettling to see how the rich live. You know, you're, you're not rooting against them, but there are definitely moments where you are relating to Barry's character. It goes back and forth, but I had a fun time with it. Okay. <clears throat> I wanted to, I thought about doing a full episode on Saltburn, but let's just do it here. I think <laughs> okay. that this movie dances between being iconic at points and an absolute disaster at others. I think it's the most schizophrenic movie I've seen in a long time. To your point about Alordi and Barry Keoghan, I think they're both terrific in this movie. Alordi is a superstar. Like I think he is the one. Like He's one of those guys that's going to be in our lives for a very long time. I feel the same way about Barry. Um, Alordi is kind of taking some of the pressure off of Chalamet, where it's like, now it's like, instead of everybody that gets a casting director in their room is like, let's just cast Timmy for this. Now they're like, let's cast Alordi for this. And that's great. Give me Alordi and more things. My issue is that well, let's let's stay on the positive side. Rosamund Pike from Gone Girl, she's mm. also great in this. Carrie yeah. Mulligan, who's like the weird friend who we just mentioned in Maestro, she's great in this too. And then Richard E. Grant is also great. He's the patriarch of the Saltburn household. Oh, okay. and then I actually like the um, yeah. the sister too. I think it's um, Allison Oliver. She plays Venetia. She's hot. I liked her. She was a little weird. She grew on me throughout the movie. I'll say she got better through time. Yeah, the period blood scene really got to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, the aesthetic sure. of this movie is gorgeous. Like Emerald Fennell, the director of this movie, is brilliant when it comes to creating lasting images. I think that is a supreme talent that many people don't have at as high of a level as she does. Let's go into the negatives. Yeah, what? This fucking script is so chaotic. And but I had a conversation with my coworker about it today. I think what this movie is, Reesberg, is that, and I don't mean to sound like a pretentious asshole here, but I'm going to sound like a pretentious asshole for a second. This movie is what stupid people think high art is. They're like, this is so like convoluted and so deep when really there's no depth to this movie whatsoever. If you want to say it's eat the rich, sure. Okay, I get it. But Emerald Fennell is a woman who comes from means. Like her name is literally Emerald because I believe that her dad was like a jeweler and he named her after his favorite like stone or whatever the fuck it's just um i think that she is so good at making pretty pictures which sounds um infantilizing but it's not like that's a real skill but i think she needs other people in her writer's room because she's a writer and a director she needs other people in her writer's room to review it and give it a little bit more depth and explore these themes a little bit deeper now there is one gentleman in this movie his name is archie madekwe he plays farley who is like the light skin mm-hmm bisexual person that hangs around Saltburn. I don't think I've ever seen anybody in a movie that I hate more than this guy. I could not stand him every time that he was on the screen. And that turned me the wrong way. I think that was the point now, of his character though. 
sure it might be in a lot of ways, but I also just don't like him. Like I, I I've seen him in interviews. And I, I just don't like this person. Um, I saw this movie with my mother. So let's talk about the bathtub oh. scene and the grave scene. The bathtub scene I have no issue with. You're exploring the Barry Keoghan character's psychoticness. That's great. The grave sequence is okay too, but it does not need to be 180 seconds long. If it's 20 seconds, fine. He's a weirdo. He wanted to fuck Felix. He had weird mixed feelings about him. I get that. But why did it have to last so long? Like it dragged out so fucking long. I'm sitting in the theater. I'm like, can this please end? I was like, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, damn, this like movie's pretty good. It's like almost like four star territory. Like it's beautiful. It's kept me intrigued. It's entertaining. But like, why is this going on for so long? And then I was just like, I'm out. Like I'm out. And then you have the twist at the end, the quote unquote twist. My mm-hmm. mom called it halfway through the movie. She's like, he's scheming. Like he's a fucking prick. Like once she found out that he was not poor and then he did come from means, mm-hmm. she's like, yep, that's it. Like he's going to kill all these people. I'm like, how do you know that? Like, I don't believe you. And maybe that's just my naivety. I wanted to believe that he was good, but I don't think it's much of a twist at all. If my 52 year old mom can predict it, I wanted to believe it. I, where did you fall on the twist? Did you know it was coming? Is this something that Rand predicted is like, is it a woman thing that they knew what was coming and we didn't? Or what was the issue here? Fair fair point to bring up. I, I feel like to touch on Ran, I feel like she did kind of know the twist was coming. But at the same time, I think we both did. I, I definitely did as well. Not, I think it was, I had the seedling of it planted. Like, you know what? This is a very plausible course this, this movie could go. And then it was definitely confirmed when they were driving home to meet his parents, I was like, well, if they're going to introduce the family, I know he's been lying. And I think what it is, is cinema building on cinema for me, because I was viewing this through the talented Mr. Ripley the whole time. Like, just like, sure. This is a really similar theme going, but it's still different enough in its own right. And a different enough story. I, I guess where it was enjoyable, but yeah, the twist was a little obvious to a degree, but I don't think that it completely ruined the movie at all. I think it was still a good journey getting there. You didn't know exactly how it happened. A lot of this stuff was still, you know, did he or didn't he? Because we didn't see this on camera until a certain point of the movie. But yeah, I had a good time with the with the ride. And I think, again, viewing it through that movie lens definitely helped where I didn't take it too seriously. I wasn't looking for a theme like Eat the Rich or anything in it. It was just, all it was is this guy's a psycho and he'll do yep. whatever he can. Or he's a genius psycho who did everything he could and got everything he wanted. I think the funniest or not funniest, but like the most ridiculous shot that I saw all year was when he's in the coffee shop um, and he's talking to Rosamund <laughs> Pike and it's like a flashback. and He's just like clacking letters on his keyboard and just complete <laughs> yeah. nonsense on the word doc. I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, this is so fucking stupid. Um, and I guess the other issue that I have with it is like, I love movies so much. I, I'm not protective of them. I want to share them with the world. Um, but it feels like this was the movie that everybody was talking about around the holidays. Like it was all over TikTok. People are watching it with their families. People are doing the salt burn trend by dancing around their house at the end. Like not naked, but like whatever. They have yeah. a big house. They want to dance around it. And that frustrated me because I'm like. Dude, there were so much better, so many better movies that came out in December that we could have talked about rather than Saltburn. But it, it feels like she's just making movies for like honestly for people to screenshot and put on Instagram, which frustrates me because that's not what movies are. Movies are to make you feel something and yeah. make you learn things about yourself and learn things about other humans. Um, and I'm 
yeah, I'm in a pretentious mode right now. I'm sorry. Um, no, right. I get where you're coming from on that. hundred uh, percent. That last scene, uh, murder on the dance floor. I'm going to be playing it a lot. I agree with you though. Yeah, I think song. it's the Jacob Elordi effect. You know, they see him in a movie and everyone wants to watch it. Also another issue that somebody pointed out, this movie takes place in 2006. So weird to make a period piece about 2006. They're watching super bad. Super bad came out in 2007. So if you're going to do this oh. shit, get your fucking facts, right? Um, I was wondering, I, I kind of thought they fucked up with one of those, but I didn't want to look into it and get disappointed. It, little things like that actually will derail a movie for me. So that it, <laughs> that fucking sucks, whoever did that. Well, she she was too worried about, I don't know, I didn't want to talk about the TikTok reviews of this shit. All right, um, that's a whole other issue in itself, and I'm a victim of it. Um, all right, my number five, I, I feel bad having this at five because I love this movie so much. I have it on Blu-ray right over there. Um, one of the most fun experiences I've had in the movies this decade thus far. Okay. It's Barbie. Oh, Directed okay. by Greta Gerwig. Hell yeah. Uh, my queen. I love Greta to death. Um, we were playing a game the other night. Um, what's it called? The game where you're drinking, you got a name person. It's like Hamman Ledemaker or whatever the fuck. Uh, oh, uh, Norman Killebrew, I want to say. Herman Killebrew, something like that. Um, and it's a game where like you have to, I, I'm not, I'm going to explain the game, whatever. Greta Gerwig is a queen. <laughs> um, she somehow came up and people are like, who's Greta Gerwig? And they're like, she directed Barbie. I'm like, well, she also directed Lady Bird and mm-hmm. Woman. And yeah. like, we need to give her credit for those because that's how she came up. And she came up even before that with like Francis Ha and Mistress America and things like that by collaborating with Noah Baumbach. But the, the relationship between her and Margot Robbie, I think could be one of the more fruitful relationships that an actor and a director can have moving forward. And Margot's... Um, role in producing this movie too, making it come to life, being a part of the script making process and everything like that is honestly just, it's perfect. I love this movie so much. It's on HBO Max right now. So if you want to revisit it, it's totally worth it. I've watched it three times now. I adore it. It gets better every time that I watch it. But I think the real standout of this movie is Ryan Gosling. I think that he is, <laughs> Yeah. I think he's the best in it. Um, I mean, Greta's, Greta's the best. Greta wins the movie, but Gosling well, is just like, on nobody that else point, has done that. Well, first, that's my, what is it? I think that's my number three. So just shout oh, don't out spoil, there. Don't spoil. God damn it. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. I think it's better. We talk about it now. We don't have to revisit it and we, we can kind okay. of all get it out. But sure. on your point of Margot Robbie, do you think that, do you think, what's his name? Jesus. Ryan Gosling uh, holds the, is in the same kind of, I guess, level with her. In relation to the producer or director, Greta Gerwig. No, you think because, she would come back so, with them and okay. Oh, oh yes. I would love that if she would work with if he would work with Greta again. But like they had to beg him to be in this movie. Like they came up with this movie together. And then Greta went off and wrote it with Noah Baumbach, her partner, who made Marriage Story and The Squid mm-hmm. and the Whale and among other movies. But they were like, We need you to be in this. Like you're perfect. Like you are Ken. Like look at yourself. And he's like, I don't know. I feel like I'll be like making a mockery of myself. Like, I'm not sure if I could do it. I'm not know. I don't know if I'm funny enough, all this kind of stuff. And then lo and behold, he does it. And he has a Mojo Dojo Casa house. He's mm-hmm. beaching people off. And it's just iconic. Like, I, I'm so glad that this movie was as big as it was. I had no resentment towards it for that reason whatsoever. Um, yeah, I think it's just, I, I'm so glad this movie existed. Like, Margo was talking about it the other day on The Hollywood Reporter about how she wanted it to be a four quadrant movie. And to do that, you would have to get guys to like the movie. And they're like, there's no way guys are going to like a movie about Barbie. And she's like, but they'll like it if it's a good movie. And it is a good movie. I will give it one nitpick. Okay. Um, 
the daughter, America Ferrer's daughter, I yeah. don't think she's very good in it. Um, especially upon rewatch, just not a very good actress. She's a kid. I usually don't like kid she's actors. She's a kid. I was going to bring that up. I think that kind of ruins it for you. I think that was <laughs> kind like of a big no to it. Because, I mean, what is her role there? Her role is to go, well, mom, why wouldn't you go to Barbie land? Mom, you got to do this sure. for me. And then, then she gets there. That kind of seems like her only role. But if we had a category for most fun movie, this would hands down be in it. The amount of scenes where you just you want to get up and dance in the theater too. When they yes. do that – dance that whole sequence is absolutely golden ken's whole dark era i'm assuming everybody watched this movie so this whole yeah. dark villain era it was just absolutely hilarious <laughs> when they start when they go from beating each other off to all of a sudden hey it's all the kens versus all the barbies now like we run this shit welcome to the real world it is just it's awesome i mean all the social commentary about the movie aside like it is it was my most fun movie hands down all the way through there were a few stale moments, I think, at the end when they were trying to hit some points, but you know, I can look past that real easily with a cast like that. I will say one more comment. Okay. Um, my favorite movie of all time, one of my two favorite movies of all time, is Boogie Nights, yeah. which is essentially one long joke leading to a punchline of a man revealing his dick. It's just one giant dick joke. And this movie, in the same way, is just one giant punchline to a vagina joke. And I thought that was so bold for a movie <laughs> that, you know, seven-year-old girls went and saw. And the last thing that they joke about is a fucking gynecologist appointment. I thought that was genius. And, yeah, man, I, I, I'm very happy this movie exists. All right, so I had it at number five. You had it at number three. We already I won't spoil going forward. Solburn. Yeah. Okay. You're number um, five with Solburn. What's your number four? My number four was Napoleon. Actually, my most nice. anticipated movie for the year. I was really looking forward to seeing this, and I'm not nice. going to say I was – I think I was so excited to see it that I left with a lot of good, positive thoughts about it, but was ultimately a little a little overwhelmed just from what they could have done. I, I think that's more where my disdain with the movie lies is, you know, Napoleon was such an interesting historical figure. Uh, it is so – important to history i mean not in all of the best ways but i mean his he gets credit where credit is due in that regard and so i think i wanted them to explore that a little more and, and less of you know him and his wife wife josephine wasn't too interested in that uh, there were really good moments and i liked it but it kind of felt like it dragged on so i'm <laughs> glad they went through that scope but the battle scenes were absolutely <laughs> insane <laughs> what are you barking at are you barking at me? My favorite scene of the year, or the funniest scene of the year, is when okay. he gets horny for Josephine and he just starts barking. And that's his her signal that he wants to fuck. Oh, he was so I just think that he and to your point, it's really hard to make a movie about somebody that is this large in our minds and in our stature. And you're a huge history buff, so like you yeah. know a lot about Napoleon. But I think it's so this is my number eleven. It's the first movie outside of my top okay. ten. I, I think it's interesting to compare and contrast it with my number fifteen which is Ferrari, Michael Mann's movie. Ferrari analyzes Enzo Ferrari over like a two-month span at a very critical point of his life. There's like two different ways you make a biopic, three different ways you make a biopic. You can do that kind of more concentrated, microscopic lens into his life at a critical point. Or you can do what Napoleon does, which is they essentially follow him in his rise to the king and emperor of France and follow it for 25 years until he dies. And the other ways that you can do what Elvis did and you can do from birth 
I think they call it from the cradles to the grave, where they literally mm-hmm. show like your birth and they die. That's very difficult to do. I think Napoleon, there could be a hundred different movies about him if they yeah. want to do the Ferrari route where they just study three days of his life. But to your point, the battle sequences in this, it's Ridley Scott, man. They're going to kick ass, and he still has his fucking fastball. Like, PD was talking about Gladiator in the chat the other day. The battle sequences in that, epic. Battle sequences in this, epic. But I think uh, Vanessa Kirby and Joaquin Phoenix, their chemistry in this is what sets it apart. And I'm surprised it's honestly not my top 10. It might be recency bias with Iron Claw. It could be at number 10 with Iron Claw at 11. Um, Just their chemistry and, like, the psychosexual tension and the drama between them it set this movie apart for me. So I actually like that almost as much as I like the battle sequences, if not more. Right. And I guess to kind of re to kind of edit my original point, I didn't absolutely hate it. I think I was just more focused on where they could have gone. And you're right. That comes from just wanting to go more deeper into the history of it rather than view it as like a, just a cinematic art piece is probably what they were going for. And I think they did a really good job. The battle scenes, I haven't seen back at a battle scenes since I, I don't even know when I wanted. That's why I wanted so Lord many the more. Maybe I didn't want to take it that far back. Cause that's so long ago, but they were absolutely incredibly shot. You can see the strategicness with them. I mean, Napoleon Dude, was known ice. for his cannons would literally just whip them out. Just like he's whipping a big dick out and just absolutely just hammering whoever he faced. I didn't like that. They kind of made him look like a pussy because what he won like two, three battles in there that, that we saw. And then at yeah. the end, it's like, oh, no, he got outsmarted. And, like, we knew this. He knew this. There's a lot of historical context back there. But we don't need to get into that. At the beginning of this movie, Napoleon's Joaquin Phoenix's first words as Napoleon, I was out of the anticipation was there. I was like, let's go. Here we go. This is our guy. And then he says something. And I just forgot it was Joaquin Phoenix that was playing him. So I almost started bursting out laughing. Like, I'm expecting, like, little Frenchman, you know, wee wee, little Napoleon coming yeah. out. To, to kind of give me that Frenchness. And I, we got straight Joaquin Phoenix. And there was a second yeah. I was like, this is going to ruin it for me. And then, no, he absolutely killed it. It was, I was but that moment way. still lives up in my head. Like, it was so funny to hear his first words in that movie. I was the same way. I was like, I'm not sure if Joaquin is right for this, the first, like, 40 minutes of the movie. And I'm like, oh, my God, nobody else can do this. Like, mm-hmm. this is perfect. Because, yeah. like, Joaquin is so, he's so weird. Like, he's just so different, and, like, everything is so soft-spoken, and it's so, like, coming straight from his brain to his mouth, and it's, like, waxing poetic, and he's very clever. And I imagine Napoleon, and I'm like, dude, this guy conquered the world. Like, I'm like, (laughs) I expect him to be, like, a badass with a French accent. Like, shouldn't it be Adam Driver or something like that? But, yeah, no, this is a great movie. Um, All right, my number four. Okay. Um, God, I feel, oh, fuck. Fuck. All right. Um, I think this was my most anticipated movie of the year. Um, okay. It's Killers It's Cl- Killers of the Flower Moon. Martin oh, Scorsese. Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio. Robert De Niro. Lily Gladstone, among others. I'm not sure if I can talk more about this movie. I've already talked about it so much. But <laughs> for a three and a half hour movie, it has a one sentence synopsis on Letterboxd. When oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. That's pretty good, actually, for a one-sentence review of this movie. Um, Robert De Niro in this film is perhaps the most evil person I've seen on a screen 
I don't know, since Hannibal Lecter, like he's just picking off Native Americans one by one. He ingratiates himself into their family and completely betrays their trust just because he's a greedy prick. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio usually plays the smartest guy in the room, plays the biggest doofus ever in this film. Like it's such a detachment from what he usually does. And I think I had an issue with that actually where I'm like, I like smart Leo. But actually now that I'm thinking about it, Rick Dalton and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood total fucking idiot the aviator he's almost too smart for his own good titanic he's kind of yeah maybe he's not always the smartest guy in the room but he's almost too stupid in this. where it's like he's just a pawn that de niro is using to just you know he needs to fuck a native american chick and then he needs to slowly you know not cure her diabetes by giving her morphine instead of and i shouldn't spoil the movie but um Sounds yeah, like he I'm doesn't sure have that people... saving grace quality. You know, Rick Dalton isn't the smartest character. Definitely not. But he's one of the best actors, and he's always bringing his buddy yeah. Cliff around and hyping him up. Is so. he that good of an actor, though? He's kind of terrible at acting, except for that one scene where Julia Butters is like, that was the best acting I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I, isn't he, like, hyped well, you do up love as, him. like, you the love Rick him. Dalton? Like, the, it, yeah, the right. Rick Dalton started all these westerns. You know, maybe we didn't see TV him at the shows, best yeah. time. The, yeah, TV shows. That's what it was. Bounty Law. Yeah. Bounty Lao. Yeah, um, yeah man. Movie. I don't, did, did you ever go see this movie? No, I I wanted to so bad. It, it, this is one of those things where it definitely okay, so comes down to runtime for me. It's on Apple TV right now. And okay. uh, you know me, theater guy. But this is one of those movies where if I could have swapped this and The Irishman and seen The Irishman in the theater yeah. and then watched this at home, I would have. Because The Irishman is three hours long. This is three and a half hours long. It's obviously Scorsese. Um, we talked about it on the pod. So if you want to listen to a deeper conversation about it, go listen to that episode. Um, but yeah, I w- I'm excited to rewatch it. It's on Apple TV right now. So if you want to split it up into two viewings, it's an hour and 45 minutes twice. So it's still quite a, a long one. Um, it's a great movie, but it's not way to in my it. top five Scorsese's. I never know if I want. So there's the idea in, in Europe. It's popular where they have the, what's the break in the middle called? They have that intermission. Movie. Yeah, the intermission. I dance around with that all the time, especially with movies like this. Like, I want an intermission because I need a break to get my mind uh, just a little more relaxed so I can get back in that movie and give it all the appreciate, just give it all the attention it deserves. But then I'm also thinking, you know, with that intermission, then I'm just there longer. So I battle with that. But definitely with ones like these, yeah, I'm thinking because I want to give it all my attention and really appreciate it. But I'll definitely watch this uh, soon in 2024. But yeah, I, I was excited to hear your review about it because I was very much anticipating to watch this too. Should shout out J- uh, Jason Isbell, the country singer who appears in this movie. He's very good in it. And then Jesse Plemons, John Lithgow, and Brendan Fraser, also great. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, hey, let's your number three. Because I got my, my, my number three? three. Yeah, mine's out there. Oh, fuck. It's Barbie, isn't it? Damn it. Okay. Oh, man. All right. My number three is Poor Things. Ooh. Um, I saw this. Last week with a date, um, crazy first date movie. Or not first date. I think it's like our third or fourth date, something like that. But um, we've known each other. I said, I want to go see Poor Things. She's like, I want to go see that too. I'm like, are you sure? Do you know what this movie's about? She's like, kind of. I've seen the trailers. It looks really pretty. I'm like, it does. It's gorgeous. Um, So this is Emma Stone. Um, (laughs) I'll just read this. She's nothing like you've ever seen. Brought back to life by an unorthodox scientist who is played by a gentleman named Willem Dafoe, who plays a scientist named Godwin Baxter, who she calls God for short. 
a young woman, Emma Stone, runs off with a lawyer, uh, Mark Ruffalo, on a whirlwind adventure across the continents. Free from the prejudices of her times, she grows steadfast in her purpose to stand for equality and liberation. That is the most PG uh, synopsis of this movie I've ever heard. This movie is about a woman who commits suicide Mm -hmm. while she's pregnant. The scientist takes the baby out of her stomach, takes the baby brain, and puts it in the woman's body. And so she is a grown woman that looks like Emma Stone with a baby brain. And she matures very fast and eventually becomes a nymphomaniac that wants to fuck all of the time. She calls it furious jumping is what she calls sex. And she <laughs> loves her daddy. God tries to fuck him at some point, pisses all over the place, eats whatever she wants, has no manners whatsoever. Um, I'm not sure what world this exists in because it has places like London and Paris and a ship on the sea, but like, the world building of this movie is some of the most gorgeous I've ever seen. It like makes a Wes Anderson movie. It, it's like equivalent to that when it comes to beauty. Yorgos Lanthimos is the director of this. He's one of the most creative filmmakers that we have. I have a love-hate relationship with him. I love The Favorite, which is Emma Stone's first movie with him. I do not like The Lobster or The Killing of a Sacred Deer very much, which are very weird movies. They're fine, but they're just not my kind of thing. But it's a very art house film. But essentially, this is one of the weirdest, most creative, and funniest things I've ever seen. We had a blast on our date of this movie. We loved it. We talked about it for 30 minutes afterwards. It installs a lot of conversation in your daily routine when you go see this with somebody. Um, Gerard Carmichael makes an appearance. Margaret Qualley makes an appearance. It's just a kick-ass movie, and it's my third favorite of the year. And I left the theater with a smile on my face, grinning from ear to ear. Which is crazy to think about after hearing the description of the movie. Like, it sounds like the yeah, picture is wow. really beautiful. Gorgeous. Definitely Gorgeous. on my list, but it's kind of farther down there. And I think it's because it just Put seems it so top. weird. But it definitely <laughs> should it be the up top. there with Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo and William Defoe. I mean, those are actually three of my favorites to watch. So yeah, I, I can I mean, move it I, up I think a little. I said it, it just seems review, so but... weird. You're right. I think I mentioned it on the 60-second or one-minute movie review on Instagram. I think Emma Stone's the best actress alive right now. Um, I think Margot Robbie's a close second. I just couldn't imagine anybody else doing this. And the decisions that she's making now with this and Nathan Fielder's The Curse is just crazy. It's like if Kate Blanchett or Meryl Streep would have, like, at the height of their fame after winning their first Oscar, would have just gone off and done literally the weirdest things possible. And I love that. Like she's challenging like the status quo where she's like, she could have done Barbie. Like she would have been great in Barbie. She wouldn't have been as like perfect for it as Margot. but, and Margot could maybe do this, but I don't know, man, like you, you watch this movie and you tell me there's another actress that can do this. Cause I don't think there is. Okay. And like she was in Spider-Man. Like she's fucking Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy. Like she can do all of that shit, but I'd rather see her on this shit. And she's an easy A. She's always been a little weird, though. You're right. Um, Super bad. I think La La that Land. I don't think Emma Stone could do Barbie, and that's just because Margot Robbie just has the perfect look for it. But I feel like Margot could. She could do a really weird role. I think really. Bad. Yeah, she can. Like Babylon's a weird role. Like she's yeah, nuts. Like some, but I think she could go weirder. Even though ba- it was almost disturbing, Margot in that movie. Like very well, she does Harley Quinn. Some of it. 
Harley Quinn's kind of oh, close to this, I would think. Right. I guess I saw that movie once and yeah, didn't want Oh, I liked that. her as Harley Quinn. I think she's great. I mean, I love her in everything she does. That's the same way I feel about Emma Stone. But okay. yeah, no, just watch this. Bump it to the top of your watch list. If you can see it in a theater, go see it in a theater because Rand would love it too. It's an experience. I'll bump um, it to one. I don't right. have another movie to put ahead of it, I guess. All right. What's your number two? I think we have the same top two. Damn it. I know we do. Yeah. Okay. It depends My on number order, two. Though. My number two, which I think is where it's going to defer, is Oppenheimer. That was my number two movie of the year. Really enjoyed it. It's so anticipated. And I think a lot of the love for Barbie and Oppenheimer is we touched on it a little, but just the fun buildup to it. Just on Instagram, TikTok, talking with your friends, just seeing all the hype around it, seeing the love it was getting before the movie even came out. And, you know, we're talking about Barbie here, which is just a kid's toy to play with, a kid's doll. And we're talking about Oppenheimer, just the creator of the nuclear bomb, the atom bomb. So, I mean, two things where when you say them out loud, you're like, oh, yeah, that movie probably won't go number one and be the highest grossing movie of the year. But the journey was almost as fun as the movie was, and the movies lived up to it, I think. Uh, I'll let you really get into Oppenheimer, but the casting is crazy. I love the black and white of it. I also enjoyed oh. Florence Pugh's character being in it with Emily Blunt, that little love triangle. You're like, ooh, I didn't know Oppie, that they call him Oppie too. I didn't know Oppie was like that. Like, Oppie's just running around and can get anybody he wants because he's so smart. Now, were, were so these like women that. as attractive in real life? There's no way. But you can't deny he had the game. <laughs> you can't deny the game was there. And, you know, as much as the credit and in in achievement of his life is – what he did in science they were trying to show us hey but it's not all about that he had fun too and albert einstein cameo was absolutely sick all right before i reveal where i have it i want to shout out my honorable mentions just to build the tension a little bit more okay number 12 i had asteroid city by wes anderson number 13 i had john wick chapter four number 14 i had guardians of the galaxy volume three which is my favorite uh, marvel movie in years Number 15, I had Ferrari. 16, I had May, December. 17, I had The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which is a short film by Wes Anderson on Netflix right now. You can tell I like Wes Anderson. Number 18 was Past Lives, Celine Song's film. Number 19 was Leave the World Behind. Number 20 was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Oh, yeah. My number one was Oppenheimer. Yeah, Oppenheimer was my favorite movie of the year. Um, And it's tough. Um, I've already talked about it so much. But I want to attack it from a different angle. I think that Christopher Nolan has been building to this movie his entire career. I think he's made a lot of tremendous films, and all of them have issues. Um, the Dark Knight, I think, is his, is a perfect movie. I think that this is just because there's no like, there's a, obviously a historical text for him for him to work from with American Prometheus and obviously the real events that transpired. But I think that this is him at his best. Um, I was blown away when I saw the, the second that I got out of this movie. I was like, I need to go see this again. And I so rarely experience that when I'm in a theater because I see so many movies in a fucking theater in a year. And sometimes by the end of it, I'm like, I just want to get out of here and go home and, you know, hang out with some friends. Um, I try to be as present in a movie as possible. I don't look at my phone, but sometimes I get a temp- temptation to, right? Like, I'm a human. I want to look at my phone. I want to see, like, did I miss a text from a friend? Did I get a Snapchat from a chick? Uh, did I miss something in the NBA? Whatever. I didn't experience that once in this three-hour movie. I was, like, 
in it, in it. I saw it opening night with my dad, packed theater, and I will never forget the out-of-body experience that I had when the atom bombs, the Trinity test is about to go off, and everybody is just, you could hear a pin drop. Like, it's remote silence, like noise-canceling headphones type shit. And then the bomb goes off, and you don't just see it and hear it, but then you feel it, and it's like a delayed experience. I, you can't replicate that. Like, that's something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. Like, um, the movie theaters do a fun thing where around the Oscars, they show movies that are contending for the Oscars for best picture again. Um, so they'll probably do that in March. So if you didn't see Oppenheimer in the theater, one shame on you Two, you have another chance in March, go to your local theater. They'll be replaying it around the Oscars and I will be there. I might go twice again because I've tried to recreate that experience on my TV at my house with my sound bar. I'm never going to be able to do it. I'm going to have to be a millionaire to create a sound system and Dude, a screen as large I as I feel that. like they turned the volume up at the theater more than they <laughs> more than the normal play. It was so loud. It was deafening. But even like the silence in the movie was overtaking everything. You just could not yeah. be immersed in it. And I think after – that's why I gave it. That's why I put it where it was because it was 181 minutes. And I was glued to it, attached the whole time. There, there wasn't even a, a moment of like, you know, check the phone. Like, what time? Yeah. How much longer do we have in this movie? Uh, and and it was beautiful. It starts out, and I feel like the audience, at least my journey through it, you know, you're excited. You get to meet all these scientists who, who I have no idea who the hell they were, but I have no scientists. idea. They're just so thrilling. I know all captivating. You kind of recognize some of them here and there, yep. but for the most part, you don't know. You just know everybody's a genius in this movie and you're rooting for the Americans. If you're watching this, I don't know, from my point of view and you're like, okay, let's get this atom bomb built. It goes off, you know, eventually. And then the movie takes a turn. It starts to become a little, you know, what have I done? Uh, it, it turns into a dark film. I think at one point where uh, you see a lot of hate towards Oppenheimer for speaking out against, you know, I regret doing this. And it kind of questions your morals and everything because this movie's so deeply tied to our history, I guess, that we learn in school. So at some point, you could describe this film as a, a semi-horror film, I think, especially towards the end with just the heavy, dark themes that are present. Also, just simply put, it's the best cast of the year. I mean, it's Dude, insane. Like, pull, just looking at it. Josh Peck out of nowhere. It, it, not even just like Casey Affleck out of nowhere. Like that guy's an Oscar role. winner. Yeah. Like, and, and I remember that was another experience that I had where I was like, Casey Affleck was not marketed at all in this movie. Uh -huh. I did not know he was in the cast and he's supposed to play this real evil prick. And he, I'm like, is that, is that Casey Affleck? And it turns out to be him. And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh no. He's, Oh, he's evil. He's real evil. Um, on top of your point about like names that you recognize, the only one that I recognized other than Oppenheimer was Heisenberg. Yeah, and that meeting towards the beginning of the movie, where like they're on a race to see who can figure out the atom bomb first, is just that's like a thrilling joyride about a nerdy ass subject that I normally in any other director's hands would not give a flying fuck about. Like if it was a documentary that I had to watch in school, I'd be like boring. But since it's Christopher Nolan and Killian Murphy, I'm like, damn, this shit rips, dude. And then your point about the runtime too, 180 minutes, the Trinity test goes off at exactly the 90 minute mark. Oh, so I think there's sick. a delineation where it's kind of like Boogie Nights where like Boogie Nights is at one point the happiest I've ever been in my life watching a movie. And then it also makes 
at, at a certain point becomes the saddest I've ever been watching a movie. Oppenheimer's kind of the same experience where the first 90 minutes is like the beginning of Boogie Nights. It's just a fucking thrill ride from start to that point. And then after that, it's the trials and the hearings and it becomes more of a courtroom drama. Um, but I love the courtroom drama aspect of it too. And that might be what wins Robert Downey Jr. and Oscar. So I think this might sweep so. up the Oscars too. I think Nolan should win Best Director. I think this should win Best Picture. I yeah. Killian's going to win Best Actor. Um, and then I could see Downey Jr. definitely winning Supporting Actor. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I actually think Matt Damon is better in this movie than him. But I'm also a Damon head. Um, yeah, man. I love it. All right. Should we talk about your number one and my number two? Yeah, I think it would be hilarious if we were both off about this, but I know we we are locked in. <laughs> we're on the same page. I actually I have a funny video of you on my phone. I don't know if you remember this, but when you were, we were in town the other night, oh, you were God. drunk as shit oh, opening yeah. the Blu-ray that I got, and mm-hmm. I think it's like three minutes of you like walking it down. Um, go ahead, announce what the movie is. So the movie is the second one in this series. It's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, five-star movie holy shit five-star movie why are these movies so good they are (laughs) they're just game-changing i didn't expect this one to live up to the hype that the first one had and to pre to premise this when i watched the first spider-man the across into the multiverse into the spider-verse i hated it i think i fell asleep during the movie I like woke up and was like, that's the stupidest thing. Like, you know what? It wasn't like I was giving it its credit because I I did enjoy the Spider-Man aspect of it. But I was like, you know what? At times it just felt a little childish. I was in no right mind the first time I watched it. I don't know what headspace Mm. I was in, what I was on. But I went back in, rewatched it, five stars, loved it. And then somehow they created this one. I'm like, this is going to be good. You know, the first one was really good. And it might be better. It, I, it's it way better. Be better than way better. The first, the first one's one. amazing. The first one's in my top 100. This one is like in my top 40. Like this is, this is a perfect. All right. So did you see the first one on Netflix? I saw it in theaters. Did you? Okay. So yeah. I saw it in theaters with Swiss and PD. I remember seeing it very vividly. And I remember like a lot of hype being around. It was like hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes. This is back when I actually gave a fuck about Rotten Tomatoes. Fuck Rotten Tomatoes. Don't care about them anymore. But it was getting a lot of hype. They're like, this is the best superhero movie in a long time. I'm like, didn't like Infinity War just come out? Yeah. And I see it. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. This one comes along. Um, it comes out this summer. Great summer film. I have an experience with it. I haven't seen the first one in, you know, three or four years. It's coming at a time in my life where I was going through the weirdest, like almost kind of breakup of my life where like weird circumstances led to this breakup. And I just kind of needed a little pick me up. And so I go and see this movie on a Thursday afternoon, the first available screening. And I was like smiling the entire time. It was like the perfect antidote to whatever like weird sadness that I was feeling. Your joy was And I remember like, yes, like happy tears coming down my face. I'm like, this is fucking perfect. Like even just like the Donald Glover, like the real Donald Glover, not like a cartoon version of him, like sitting in like a, a tube because he was rumored to play like a Spider-Man villain like three years ago. The fact that they just take those little weird niche internet things. And then I remember going to Coa Cantina with you guys for trivia right after. And I just kept telling you guys, I was like, that's the most fun I've ever had. Like I was just smiling the entire time. I'm like, guys, like that's a perfect movie. I, I you probably remember. I was like, I was actually annoying about how much I liked it. Um, I this think is, you were, and I think that's why it took me a while to see it after. I was like, okay, it's not that good. I, can, I should stop doing that shit. Man. I should just shut the fuck up. Uh, sometimes when I do hear, because you you give a, a strong and good reaction 
you know, appropriately for you, but can come across a little, you know what, is it that good? And now it might ruin my expectations in my viewing of the movie. Uh, uh, but I think that's just all related to Tar. I don't think that really holds any weight with any <laughs> other movies. I don't think it holds weight on this one. I definitely uh, saw this movie very soon after and had the exact same experience. I mean, it's just so fun. It's so happy. I mean, even when they go into the darker themes of the movie, it is still just, you know, since it's Spider-Man, you know, it's all going to be okay. At least you hope. And they were kicking ass. The The whole, is it anime? Is that what I call it? The whole animation style of the movie was, yeah. It, that's what makes it. Well, there's it. bits of anime in it. Like the, that's the thing about this is that because it's across the Spider-Verse yeah. and it is the only depiction of a multiverse that's actually successful other than maybe everything everywhere all at once. Um, when they go to different universes, they change the animation style, which you have never seen in a movie before. Like, I think we talked about this the other night, but when you go to Gwen Stacy's world and she's experiencing a very emotional moment because those comic books were watercolor paintings, they stay true to that form and they have the watercolors on the screen. And like, that's such a simple thing that or not simple thing to execute, but a simple thing to, to do is to pay homage to the comic books. Cause that's what this really was. The first time that I saw into the spider verse, I'm like, Oh, this is like a comic book come to life. Like it has like the etchings and sketchings and it mm -hmm. looks like somebody's drawing it. It's not like perfect. It's not like bubbly, like a Pixar movie. It's like, Oh, this is a comic book. And then you see this one and it's like, Oh, this is every comic book that Spider-Man has ever been. And all of the different illustrators who have, poured their heart and soul and livelihood into these and like really done what they can make it beautiful in different ways than each other. Cause that's the thing about Spider-Man. It's like, he's a universal character that we all love. We can all see a little bit of ourselves and Peter Parker or Miles Morales. But like, because of that, like everybody has their own perception of it. And so they can make it look however they want. And that's what I love about this movie. So like when we go to India in this movie, it's like, that's a totally different style than anything else in the movie. When you go to the Cyberverse or Cybertron area, it's like different style. Um, even characters like uh, Jason Schwartzman's villain, Spot, like I've never seen a villain like that. Like he's untouchable and ungrabbable. It's, he's the invisible man. And even the voice acting in this, like Oscar Isaac comes out. Um, Shamik Moore as Miles is great. Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy is great. Jake Johnson coming back as the original Peter mm -hmm. B. Parker. Awesome. Greta Lee, Andy Samberg, J.K. Simmons. I mean, the fucking cast. Of Daniel Kaluuya as Spider-Punk. Like, do you remember Spider-Punk? The Ooh, fucking it, British Spider-Man? Like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed his character. Was uh, kind of hating him at the beginning for stepping on our boy, Miles. But oh, yeah. know, I think it all worked on his out. Bitch. I think it all worked yep. out. Who's Andy Samberg playing it? Do you know what Spider-Man plays I Scarlet Spider. Ben Riley. I'll pull up a picture of him. So but like, that's the thing. Like John Mulaney was spider pig in the first one. Oh. Nicholas cage was noir Spider-Man. Like yep. they just do that. Like they're just like, Hey, like let's be weird. I O E to is in this Catherine Hahn, Mahershal Ali, Rachel Dratch, Jack Quaid, Issa Rae. Like it's Ziggy Marley. Like what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like I'm like learning things about this. I'm, I'm going to watch this movie tonight. Like the, we've talked about all these movies. It's my number two. Tar was actually my number two of last year. Too, okay. by the way so it's funny that we're talking about this really conversation with tar has come up now three different times on the podcast you brought it up once um yeah man this is a, a perfect movie should we do the synopsis for it for people that just to sell them a little bit more oh yeah yeah go ahead you want to do it okay when you say synopsis you just give the rundown yeah it's how you wear the mask that matters okay after after reuniting with gwen stacy 
Brooklyn's full-time, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters the Spider Society. I forgot that's what it was called. A team of spider people charged with protecting the multiverse's very existence. But when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders and must set out on his own to save those he loves most. Mm. Okay, so that's what it's about. If you don't want it to be spoiled for you, leave the pod. Thank you for listening. This has been the best 10 movies of 2023. Our favorite 10 movies of 2023. But now we have to talk about the ending. Yeah. Did you have did you have an issue with the cliffhanger? Not at all. No, because I loved, I loved the movie so much. All that meant was we get another one. And hopefully, because yes. it's a cliffhanger, hopefully we get it a little sooner. Then Not going to happen. Not going to happen? No. <laughs> no. Was it supposed to be a year? Just a year. No, it'll be – dude, you know how long these movies take to animate? Like that's the thing. Like they, they're this good because they take that long. Yeah, and I don't want to you know, let them – I don't control this shit. I just want to see it so bad just like just <laughs> like the Game of Thrones series House of Dragons right now. I want it right now. I understand these things take time, but I love the cliffhanger so much Uh because I'm just so excited for the next one. And that, and that's why I'm shaking with rage right now that I have to wait mm-hmm. how long I do. But I think it'll make it better. I do have to say, just kind of off topic here, that they make all these characters so cool in their own way. So cool. Like Miles Morales is supposed to be a nerd. He's a little nerdy Peter Parker, but they they can't do it. They're failing at making him a nerd. He's still, yes, a nerd, but he's so cool at the same time Dude, in everything he does. He's a... Half black, half Puerto Rican dude that wears Jordan ones. Like he's the fucking man. Is what his he parents is, are awesome and hilarious in it. I'm glad. I feel like we got to see more of his mom in this one. And I enjoyed yeah. getting to know her character. She's hot. She was funny. It, She's hot. I don't know. I, I want to say yeah, but I also don't I'm know not in the sure. animated characters either, but I was like, this girl's hot. I will say one thing that was really funny about this movie is when they were doing the press tour for it. Shamik Moore, the guy that voices uh, Miles Morales, like has that voice normally. Like he's just very hot pitched and very excited. And he's like a 30 year old dude. And then Haley Steinfeld, him, they, those two are like yeah. requested together. And he's always flirting with her <laughs> in the press tour. And she's just completely neglecting him like the entire time. She's like, I'm dating Josh Allen. I don't know what you want me to do, Shamik. Like <laughs> I'm dating the quarterback for the Bills. I can't return the favor on these uh compliments she's not being a team player he's just trying to sell it for the tickets for he's trying to get people into the nice. movie more but no no just i mean he's probably interested those. too but uh, i would be too uh, i, I think it would be i could see how it would be awkward because he is a little awkward i imagine from his voice in person but no you gotta, you gotta Dude, what the shot. fuck I appreciate it. can i bl- can i blow your mind right now hmm, maybe do you know who voices his dad, the chief of police, Jeff Morales? Or I don't think he's the chief of police, but Jeff Morales. Oh, no, but I feel like when you tell me, I will. Who? It's Paperboy. Oh, no way. Brian Tyree Henry voices Jeff Morales. I had Dude, no idea. That man might be one of the most uh, diverse like actors. Eclectic, yes. He, he can really change in. Because if you saw, what is it, Bullet Train, and then you saw Atlanta – two they're they're not even two separate characters well because they are they're completely different people like not even an actor being not even an actor acting and being different they are two different people uh they even look different i swear to god like it it blows my mind that blew my mind seeing that and then hearing he's the officer that is absolutely mind-numbing because it's not computing it. it doesn't make sense 
wait until you see Emma Stone and poor things. Nothing is going to make sense for you after that. Um, all right. This has been great. Do you have any final thoughts on the year 2023 and the movies that, that came before us? No, I think I definitely got a good one. So I got some good movies added to my list. I'm happy about, and this good. is why I love doing the discussion because so did you I. Know, I came in with it being a down year and I kind of knew it was because of some of the movies I hadn't seen that were really big yep. and would have hit it for me. But you know, we come back in here and faith's a little revitalized. I have a good feeling about 2024. I'm hoping it lives up to the hype. Dune coming in two months, March 1st, Dune part two. It better. That is That's the other thing. We, we, we might've had Dune in November. Like we were supposed to have Dune in November. If it I was going to say strike. we should have. Yeah. But I, right. I think um, waiting will be for the best. So Reesberg and I will post our lists on Instagram. Make sure to comment. Let us know what your favorite movie was. Was it Barbie? Was it Oppenheimer? Was it Across the Spider-Verse? Did you rewatch Tar so many times that you're like, that's still my favorite movie of 2023, even though it came out in 2022? Yeah, man, this has been fun. I love you. Thank you for doing this. I'm excited to see your list updated. Keep updating it as you watch more movies from this year. And I'm excited to see what moves, what shifts up and down. I imagine the top two will stay the top two. That's what happened for me. I think Barbie like moved down after seeing poor things. Um, So it moved down a little bit for that after it killers the farm. Um, But all right, let's recap our lists really quick and then let's get out of here. Okay. What did you have at number 10? At number 10, I had, what did I have? One second. At number 10, I had knock at the cabin. You know what? I'm very excited for that one to move out. Very solid. A solid movie, just undeserving of a number 10 spot on a, a year recap. I know that. <laughs> I had the Iron Claw at number 10, and I had Godzilla minus one at nine. What was your nine? White Man Can't Jump. I had okay. last oh, nice. Guilty so, Pleasure. Yep, I will watch that. Um, I had The Killer at eight. Did you have Air at eight? I had Air at eight. Okay, and I had Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 at seven. It was the seventh movie in the Mission Impossible franchise. Naturally, it's at number seven. I had The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Nice. Okay, Maestro at six. The Creator at at six. Nice. I had Barbie at five. Saltburn at five. Fuck you. I had Killers of the Flower Moon at four. Napoleon at four. Nice. And yeah, now we're in good territory. Okay, you had Barbie at three. I had four things at three. Oppenheimer at two. Cross Spider-Verse at two. And then Oppenheimer at one across Spider-Verse at one for you. All right, perfect. Okay, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you want to listen to deeper conversations on any of these movies, we have some in the feed. We talked about Oppenheimer. Um, maybe we'll do like a rewatch on Across the Spider-Verse or something like that in the future. Just to go even deeper. Uh, but thank you guys once again. We love you. We will see you on the other side. Mike Cerrone and I will be in our, doing our top 10 performances of 2023 here soon. And then we have our best of 2023 song draft coming as well, which Reesburg will also be on. That's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that. We'll see you on the other side. Peace out.